0: Hello, hello, welcome to yet another episode of the podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm your host, as always, Shane Tolt, as I take you into the backstage conversations that I have with other lead singers. Oh my God, today we have a great episode. I speak to a returning guest, one of my favorites, one of my favorite people, musicians, everything, just people to talk to. He is fantastic. His name is Frank Turner. He is here on the show. I couldn't be happier. And we spoke a little while ago on the Warp Tour. This was back in July. And I got to say, I thought this interview might be unusable with the background noise. I apologize if you hear it, but when I listened back to it, it actually seemed pretty good. So hey, modern technology, these amazing microphones EV gave me. I wish they gave me, but thank you for the microphones EV that I paid full price for. Regardless, I can't wait for you to hear it. It is a great talk with Frank about all different sorts of things. And as always, he's as candid as they come. Before we get into that, it has been a rough week with the passing of Kyle Pavone of We Came as Romans. I'm sure you heard the clip earlier. I attended the funeral in Michigan, and it really was a great service that his family put together and his band spoke at, and everyone said such incredibly amazing things and honest things about Kyle. And his mother spoke about the Kyle Pavone Foundation, which they've started kylepavonefoundation.org. So please check out that link. There's a lot of good that can come out of something so tragic. And I really want everyone to go over there, pick up a shirt, whatever we can do to help people, help musicians, help the musical community try to make things better. Again, the link kylepavonefoundation.org. As always, I want to remind you guys it's very easy to get in touch with me and I do read all of my emails just like Frank does. Leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com Also, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram. It is at Shane Told and you can follow the show at at Leadsingersyn on Twitter and at Leadsingersyndrome on Instagram and don't sleep on Facebook. It's still a thing. Make sure you go on there and like us as well. In a few weeks, Silverstein we're gearing up for a European run with our friends in Anti Flag. It's going to be so much fun. We're doing a lot of shows all over Europe, but mostly in Germany. So if you're ever so if you're around there, be sure to check it out. Tickets are on sale now. After that, Silverstein is doing a pretty massive tour. It's really really selling so so well. We've moved up a couple shows to bigger rooms and shows are selling like hotcakes. It is wild. We are playing our first album in its entirety, When Broken is Easily Fixed, and we have some great support bands as well. Hawthorne Heights, our old friends, As Cities Burn, Legends, and a newer band called Capstan who are awesome. And yeah, you gotta check it out. You gotta get tickets before they're gone. WhenBrokenIsEasilyFixed.com is the link, and we have VIP, and we have, we're doing all this stuff, and it really is going to be a great night, and probably the longest set Silverstein's ever played, so you're definitely going to get your money's worth anyways. Well, what else can I say? Frank Turner. Frank Turner. He's got a lot going on. I don't want to spoil it, so just sit back and listen. Here's my conversation with Frank.
1: It's rock and roll
0: Let's start, let's just start because it's hot as fucking here I'm here with Frank Turner, again. one of my favorites
1: Again, we're back Again,
0: I know
2: We're back This is. I have to say, this is possibly the first time I've done a return visit to a podcast Oh yeah? Well, yeah. you said before you we would do it again Yeah And you're a man of your word Well, I like to think so Yeah, absolutely
0: <laughs> Don't mind the loud, I think it's Four Year Strong in the background Which is a cool band to that be And they sound know. great yeah. yeah, Yeah, so if you hear that, that's We're dealing with what we have Bonus
2: content, I think, is what that's called. And we
0: were just talking about warp Tour, and you asked me if we were on the whole thing, and I said, hell no, we're not.
2: But have you done done the whole thing before? We've
0: done eight times.
2: Wow. Not the whole thing
0: eight times, but we've done the whole thing, uh, like, five.
2: Okay. Well, let me shock and surprise you. This is my first ever warp Tour. I knew it was. Oh, really? Okay. So so you've done some research. Yeah,
0: I knew it was your first ever, uh, and I figured, when I saw your name pop up on the last one ever, I'm like... I bet, I'm just picturing in my mind, Frank Turner, an English kid, punk rock kid... Oh, yeah. ...whose dream was to play Warped Tour one day.
2: Yeah.
1: Is well, that accurate? Yeah, kind
2: of. I mean, it's a funny thing, like... Um now I'm going to try and put my diplomatic hat on before I my, before I charge down this rhetorical route. I mean, you know, you and I both know. Growing up, um, the Warped Tour was iconic for the scene oh, that yeah. we grew up with. The bands we grew up listening to. If you're into Epitaph and Fat Wreck and all the rest of it, then Warped Tour was the shit. It was the pinnacle. I mean, it was it was an interesting and unique idea. This idea of a traveling festival, um, and it was kind of ours. Do you know what I mean? It was punk. Yeah. You know. Um, then the Warped Tour definitely went through a phase of becoming a little more musically diverse should we say a little more mainstream i guess True. well it always
0: was pretty diverse to be fair yeah okay there was enough. always hip hop artists and there was always
2: fair stuff enough. but i know what you're, i know what you're saying yeah there was some there was some pretty kind of mainstream pop acts that were part of it and there was a bit of a backlash the thing is that all of that was slightly kind of academic to me given that i've never been to it before so right. it was like i remember sort of i'd have friends who would be like sort of moaning and bitching about what's happening at the warp tour and it's kind of like okay i mean i don't really know what you're talking about so right you have to see the shit for yourself yeah but i've known Kevin very casually. For a few years, and he's always been asking me to do it, and it's—I've always sort of went, "Gone, yeah, sure, why not?" And then it's never come around. Yeah. And then this time around, he was kind of like, "Would you do the fucking tour, please? It's the last time." So here we are. And you've, but you never even attended it. No, I mean, it happens on the other side of the world for me. Of I course, think, of course. I but I mean, was, you know, figured maybe you were around one I, summer yeah, when I've in got America. A feeling there was a UK leg of Warp Tour once oh, yeah. upon a time,
0: I couldn't swear to that though I think they did but that wasn't really the same thing
2: no they they did like a London they did like a London show or something yeah there was Deconstruction Fest was sort of part of it or something I don't know but so what's your take then I mean I think it's really fun I mean I've only this is my third day here and to be honest actually one of the things is we're traveling in a van Um, which means that we're not really broing down if you know what I mean we're not like parked up with everybody and doing the whole thing so I mean yesterday we were on site for an hour including my show because we were driving all day to get there and then we played and then we drove all day afterwards as well yeah yeah so you know I mean I've seen a few friends I've seen you I've seen Keith from Every Time I Die Um, I've seen uh, various other people that I know you know um which is cool and seen a few bands seen the real big fish guys that kind yeah, of thing but yeah. like i haven't really sort of had a time to bed down into the experience which is i guess the thing that i've learned is that that feels like a shame now <laughs> you know, Yeah,
0: you should have hired a, a bus or something just to... Well, I you know. mean, I've, been,
2: I've been saying for years that I would spe- take a summer to do the whole thing, but do it solo, because the thing about doing it solo is that it's so easy. Yeah. You just show up with a guitar, and you're like, yep, there's some songs. Dude, then, I'm
0: sure there's a bus you could crash on, you know? It I'm sure there is, hard. but I'm playing New York
2: tomorrow, so... <laughs> Dude. Places
0: to be. Dude, yeah, it's, uh, it's great. And you know, what it's funny. I was looking back at, at our last conversation, and a couple things struck me. Well, the first was, it was literally the weekend before Trump got elected, was when we spoke. Was it now? So it's just two years ago. We were in Toronto. We were in Toronto. You were playing with the Kells. At Massey
2: Hall. Yes. Yes. I seem to remember being quite hungover the last time I talked to you. (laughs) Well, yes, but but I want to tell people the
0: real story, which was, so you invited me to a post-show DJ party at the Velvet Underground. Oh, yeah. And you got... Lit, dude. Yeah, <laughs> you were. And my my favorite story yeah. about this was so I was there with like my kind of my three buddies. We were hanging out, drinking some Jameson backstage. We had a great great time, and you just kind of came to me and said something to my friend, and I couldn't hear because it was loud. And then you just went, gotta go, too drunk, gotta go. We left oh, out the yeah. back door,
2: the iris exit.
0: Yeah, uh, not quite, but
1: close. Okay, you
0: said bye. I did say bye. Okay, that's good. And my friend just like my kind of my dumb buddy sorry well gets on stage with your computer and just starts DJing and everyone's really? like what the hell's going on so then something happened your computer crapped out the it made some crazy sound over the PA and everyone's like well i guess the show's i guess the set's over wow
2: Damn. <laughs> and it was incredible i'm sorry
0: and our my friend just went and Closed your computer and was like, "I have to give this back to the tour manager."
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apologies for that. I mean, I <laughs> no, have to, it, was, it was classic. I um, I've I have to. This is going to sound defensive now, but um, <laughs> I in in recent years I have been sort of chilling out on my drinking a little bit. Um, actually, so my my uh my excellent partner Jess, um, and we've been together three years now, and she said a really interesting thing to me about. About six months ago, she went, every time you drink Jameson, we have an argument, and you're kind of an asshole about it. Um, wow. And, I, and I've always drunk Jameson. It's always been my go-to. Yeah. Um, and then I was, and I sort of said, really? And she said, yes, really. Like, are you kidding? So I did some real hard self-examination, and I have started drinking tequila instead. <laughs> um, no, 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 but it's great. <laughs> but it's true. Whiskey makes, yeah, me, yeah. whiskey makes me an aggressive drunk. Interesting. Tequila, tequila makes me want to just like, kind of hug people. I've heard... Some people can't do certain types. Like some
0: people say that about tequila too. Yeah. Tequila makes well, them all
2: crazy. I can't drink vodka. Vodka makes me literally try and fight people, which is terrible because, first of all, fighting's idiotic. And secondly, I'm really bad at it. Um, so when I drink you got vodka. You have reach, though. Well, yeah, I know, but nothing happens when, the, when my feeble English arm <laughs> um, connects, which hopefully it never does. Anyway, but, but so, yeah, I mean, and actually at the moment, I'm on a. I'm t- I, this is the other thing. I've, I've really got into this new thing, and it'd be interesting to discuss with you uh, dry touring. Oh God, I deal do, I don't know man. Yeah you know what man? I drink when nowadays I drink when I'm home. Yeah. And I have an and uh, and I, I. mean some doors I have a few drinks, but like I started earlier at the start of this year, at the start of this album campaign, I started dry touring and it's just I sing better. I'm sure I'm better at my job, I'm better at performing, I'm better at doing interviews, I'm better at not being in a shitty mood with the people I'm touring with. It's just like, and then, you know, I'm 36, whatever. But, like, it's it's been a real revelation for me, actually, and I'm really yeah. behind it.
0: Yeah, it's funny you mentioned Keith from Every Time I Die because I think two years ago on Warp Tour, I spoke to him, and he did did the whole Warp Tour dry. Right. And I said to him, I, like, looked at him like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, how? Because just this tour yeah. in particular, is, there's so much yeah, downtime, so much yeah. heat, you know, and, and, and it's just a good time at night. So, yeah. I, I don't know, I i'm I'm getting older i think we're the same age and um maybe you're right yeah because there are there are mornings when i'm like what the fuck was i thinking
2: well i mean so two other aspects on it is first of all you know if you are trying to maintain a a relationship with somebody back home which i am yeah like one of the more difficult things is that you're on the other side of the world in the different time zone and you're shit faced every day that's hard do you know what i mean Whereas, whereas if i'm dry touring it's much much easier for us which is cool. But also the other thing, so I mean, part of the reason I'm not actually specifically drinking on this tour is that I'm currently behind deadline to finish my second book and I need to get on with it. <laughs> and it's just insane the amount of your day that drinking and hangovers take up totally. between them. Totally. And it's like, you know, tonight, I'm going to probably try and write a chapter tonight after I play. Can you imagine right. doing a constructive thing after the gig? Right. Yeah. So, um, so you know, it's. I mean, it's. It is partly functional. I have so much to do right now. I've. Got, I'm working on like a bunch of different musical projects. Um, I'm trying to finish this book, and just there's more time in the day if you're not drunk and high. Absolutely,
0: ever. no, that's that's definitely true. People always say that when they quit drinking, they can't believe how much time they they have. I know have. it's
2: insane, and you can like read a book before you go to bed and then remember it the following day. <laughs> but you know, y- y- what about performing? Because obviously, you probably
0: got used to having a couple, yeah, regularly, um, if not always, to yeah, kind of loosen you yeah, up. Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it a different sensation, or um,
2: it is? I just feel it's a bit more focused. I think one of the things I realized the first time I started doing dry touring was that um, actually like, a, cause we always used to do a shot before we go on stage yeah. and then it wears off after like the first three songs cause you're doing physical exercise. And then it's usually after about the first three songs, I feel like I've really gone in my groove yeah. and it's like, cool, just don't do the shot. And then, <laughs> and then you're in the groove straight away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I don't know. It's like, it's like the whole thing about drugs and you know, people sort of musicians taking drugs to find inspiration. I think that is such horse shit. Like I've done a lot of drugs in my time <laughs> and, and and it has never And I've enjoyed them And they've been, I've had good times I've had terrible times They've been deleterious to my life in various ways That's a whole other discussion yes. But my point here is simply that At no point have drugs ever contributed to my creativity At all Ever In the smallest possible way Bullshit I've only ever written when I was straight
0: Good Good, there um, it is
2: Yeah, and I, and I just And that doesn't mean you shouldn't get high or get drunk if that's what you want to do but just don't confuse don't make the fucking excuse that like yeah well I'm gonna get wasted so I can write better that's bullshit no one fucking writes when they're wasted have you you
0: tried though and you've just oh, had yeah, yeah success yeah. and then
2: you wake up the next day and you look at this absolute horse shit in your notebook yeah. and kind of go <laughs> yeah cool like I mean I, I even at once in my life once and one time only and it was during the days of million dead we had a day in the studio where we kind of got fucked up whilst mixing a record and it was just the biggest waste it was a very good salutary lesson because we finished that night at like four in the morning being like, yes, we smashed the record, it sounds so good, people are going to fucking die when they hear this, yes. and then we went to sleep and we came in the next day and we are like, this is awful, <laughs> scratch every, literally just wipe everything we did yesterday and do it again. It's crazy, man. Yeah.
0: So, new record, Be More Kind yeah. is out, and uh, yes, I love the album. Thank you. Uh, I love the vibe. The message is quite the opposite from the, you know, anarchy punk, destroy yeah. everything, um, mentality. Um, this is a new Frank Turner. He's he's sober on tour. Yes, yeah, and, and he's and he's talking about kindness. I mean,
2: there's a different, you know, vibe from at least you know the. Sure. I mean, I think I think I think certainly I couldn't have written this record ten years ago, right? Let alone twenty. Um, you know, and it is well one of one of the things that I'm, I've become. Perhaps a little defensive about about the record is that like the the idea of trying to be kind and considerate to the people who disagree with it is not actually a facile one. It's actually quite hard to do. It's a challenge, and the thing is, everybody's in favour of the idea of kindness in the political debate as long as it means that their opponents are kind to them. Right, and that's the fucking easy part. Right, and, and the hard part is actually kind of trying to keep your temper in check and trying to consider the humanity of the people you're disagreeing with. Because it's actually way easier to just insult people and resort to ad hominem attacks. Absolutely.
0: Was it a message to yourself? Is, is oh, it a absolutely. reminder Fuck to yourself? It.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, I hope that's clear from the record is that I could take any any advice that this record dolls right. out is aimed at myself before it's aimed at It's interesting else.
0: though because you've always been nothing but extremely kind, you know, to me as I almost came to you as a fan (laughs) initially, you know, I emailed you and you, and I I said on the last podcast, you know, I'd never done that before. I just had to tell you about your music and you were exceptionally kind. And even I think my buddy says he even emails you sometimes. And what is this? Well, How are you so good at email? Well,
2: okay, well, I'm, I actually, there's an interesting point here because I think that part of the genesis of my thinking about this, the direction I was going to take with this album, and indeed my reaction to the world in general, comes from this whole thing, this, this giant albatross that is my email account. The thing is, okay, I'm sure we might have talked about this a bit before. When I was a kid, I sent various emails to musicians I liked, and they replied, and I'm still talking about it 20 yes. years later. And Just the ratio of effort to impact is such that it would be churlish of me in the extreme to refuse to do it or whatever. And, you know, obviously the volume of it has increased over the years, but it still, it doesn't, like, destroy my day every day. It takes an hour of my day every day. And in the process, interesting and cool stuff happens. At the moment, um, in September, we have Seattle as... The mayor of Seattle is, okay, be more kind day on the day that we're in town playing a show. And that's because somebody emailed (laughs) me asking about it. If I didn't have my email address out there, that wouldn't have happened. Or... You know, just um, I do kind of little videos for people's birthdays and weddings and stuff. And it's just tiny, but if it adds to the sum total of human happiness in the world, then that's fine. But so the thing is, obviously, not all the emails I get are shiningly wonderful and complimentary. Some of them are a minority, a small minority, but I do get abusive emails. Like 5% of my inboxes, people call me a prick or whatever, you know. And um, the thing that I've learned over the years is that because obviously the instinctive reaction when somebody sends you an email going, you're a fucking cunt, is to reply, well, you are know, a fucking cunt. Right. Right. And the thing I've learned over the years is that if you keep your cool and keep your manners in particular and respond in, you know, and try and sort of like essentially lessen the tension of the of the conversation – I mean, I don't even want to be quite so sort of like vindictive as go. Then you win the argument, because that's not quite what I mean. But right. you, you achieve something, and I mean, this this happens all the time. But the good example of it, a guy from Minneapolis sent me this like tirade of hatred about various things. Some of which was misunderstanding and some of which was genuine political disagreement with what I think okay. about the world. And it, but it was vicious and unpleasant in tone. And my instinct was to reply and call him a prick on, and, and try and find funny, you know, inventive ways of calling him a prick. <laughs> and, and, I, and I didn't. And instead I replied and I just sort of went, look, man, you know, I think you've got the wrong end of the stick on some stuff here. And I'd like to clarify some of that. And some of that, I guess we disagree on, you know, means. But I'd like to think that we share similar ends, namely, you know, equal free." peaceful society or whatever however you want to put it yeah. and, 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 um, and we went back and forth a little bit and, the, and generally gradually over the course of a series of emails the, 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 the anger levels descended until the point that I put them on the guest list for a show in mm-hmm. Minneapolis and we had a beer after the show uh, and it was a show I was opening for Plug and Molly so I had time to sort of go out yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and hang out and the thing was like, we're not going to be friends I, I'm not going to invite him to my fucking birthday party. Do you know what I mean? Yes. But the end result of that interaction between two individual human beings struck me as more constructive than it would have been if i just responded and gone, you're a fucking prick too. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And, and it's just like, so in that, and, it, and and to go back to what I was saying earlier, it took a fair degree of effort on my part sure. to keep my manners and my cool on it because of course the natural reaction is to go, well, fuck you, man. And, um... But over the course of that... And, I mean, that's happened a lot. I mean, that's the most sort of, like, easily relatable, snapshotable anecdote to do with it. But in the course of doing that kind of thing, like, you sort of... You realise that trying to be considerate actually does help because the... And now we get more broadly philosophical, and I am just talking, so tell me to shove <laughs> No, 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 it's great, it's the, great. The, the simple, the fact, the central political fact about the human species is that we disagree with each other. And any political philosophy that has as its, as its end point a state in which people don't disagree is either infantile or totalitarian yes. or both. Right. Right. And it's just like, that's not the game. The game is to try and figure out a way in which we can conduct our disagreements in a way that doesn't result in violence. Okay, that is the purpose of a political, of a liberal political order. And, uh-huh. and therefore, this is why I'm so depressed and annoyed and angry, I might say, about the number of people who seem to be rejoicing and rejecting that idea. And I am talking about the whole punch a Nazi thing right here. All of my friends, and there's plenty of them who are in favor of punching Nazis, look to me like people who would lose a fight. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And, that, and, that, and, that, and you completely and utterly invalidate any response you have towards political violence directed at yourself if you encourage it against other people. It's not a complicated point. It is the absolute liberalism 101. Right. You know, and, and, and it just blows my mind that people are just not only forgetting this but like joyfully jettisoning this idea. Yeah. And it's like we're all going to disagree with each other. We're always going to disagree with each other. Are we going to do this with violence or are we going to do this with words? Pick one. Yeah. Pick one because those are the two choices that we have. Okay. Absolutely, Absolutely. Uh, you know. Sorry, I've gone on a rant. No, about, you're no. You, you talk as much as you want. And, but it, so and, th- this, this this is this is a big sort of driving thing in the new record. Is this this idea of yeah. like either either we're going to argue with each other or we're going to fight each other? Well,
0: what about the song "Make America Great Again"? Because that
2: <laughs> song, you must got a couple of
0: emails about that one.
2: Uh, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Actually, funnily enough, when the song first came out, I got more backlash because of the synthesizers than because of the politics, <laughs> which I think is fucking hilarious. it is hilarious yeah, um, but I mean, obviously that's because I think initially you know same with you, like you, when you initially release a song, it goes out to people who already know who you are over time, hopefully it will disseminate beyond the existing borders of your fan base, but so I mean yeah, we've had a few people. Um, Making comment, we've been playing it every American show because I feel that to write a song like that and then not um, play it when I'm in America would constitute cowardice. Yeah, Uh, do you know what I mean? I think it's actually, um, I think it's important that I play it if I'm going to make a statement like that. Absolutely. And um, you know, and it is not actually one of the things I enjoy is people kind of go like, you know, well, why do you hate Trump? And I'm kind of like, I think that you'll find the song doesn't mention him. Right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, obviously. Obviously, that's his motto. It repurposes the nativist movement slogan, which is a dumb slogan because it's ahistorical. Um, yeah. And also because the, what's the thing that annoys me is I feel like the nativist movement in America has misidentified what is great about America. Or I could give you an extri- – I'm, I'm the world's biggest America fan. I could give you a gig- gigantically huge list of what is great about America and none of those – there is very little in common between my list and Steve <laughs> Bannon's list. Right, Do you know Jesus, what I mean? Yeah. But the idea that – you know, I mean America is an open borders immigration society historically. It just fucking is. You know, And you can be in favor of building a wall, but you can't be in favor of building a wall as as a way of going back to something that America once was because it hasn't had walls before, so shut up. Do you True, know what I mean? Right, it's right. like you can have one, you can have the other, you can't have both. Um, uh, so I don't know. It's, But I mean, so the song is a bit more ecumenical than, than perhaps the title makes out, shall we say. But it, nevertheless, some people have been pissed off about it, but I mean, fuck it, put your money down. You,
0: yeah, well, you've shied away a little bit from, you know, being political in your last you know, couple albums. Yes. Definitely. With, there, there must have been some trepidation of writing this. Oh, yeah. Because you know you're going to have, every interview is right. going to ask you, every time you're in America, it's going to be, you know, this is yeah. going to come up. I mean, maybe not for the rest of your career, but maybe.
2: Maybe. Yeah, totally. I mean, I definitely went through a period of time of, of quite explicitly being not interested in politics and my music. Um, a lot of that had to do with an experience where I got burned pretty hard which I will throw my hands up and take the heat for to to or at least the heat that I deserve for it which is some should we say although you know the uh, the intelligence of the Twitter mob is not something to write home <laughs> about should we say um, but uh, but you know I, I, I was quite burned by that experience I mean but the other thing is just that for the last couple of records and I think I could you know I, I just didn't really feel that there was much happening in politics that I particularly wanted to talk about in the context of song do you know what I mean? In the world in which you had, like, Obama as president, I, I didn't really feel yeah. all that much. That, I mean, and, and I have a nuanced view of President Obama. There are some things he did I think that were great. There are some things I think he did which were really, really not great. Yeah. But on balance, I'd certainly, I think he was, uh, I think he was a good president, should we say. But, um, but, you know, I just didn't really feel at that point in my life that I had much that I needed to, um, uh, to totally. say, you totally. know. And, and, and this is the thing. I mean, with all due respect to the people I'm obviously na- talking about without name-checking them here, but I have friends who are, like, 24-7 political songwriters, and it's a little bit like if you were absolutely furiously outraged under Obama, it's slightly like, well, your dial was on 10 already. What do you say when Trump comes in? <laughs> He's go to you 11. And, yeah, but do you know <laughs> what I mean? I do feel like that about some, some people who are very good friends of mine and very talented and intelligent people. Right. But it's just a bit kind of like, it sort of seems a bit, like, more of the same to a degree, whereas, yeah. I've you know, it's sort of, I felt driven to write these songs. And that's the first time I felt like that in a long time.
0: Totally. Wow. Um, and, you know, obviously as you, you know, your career has gone on, your band, Sleeping Souls, has yes. had more of a presence uh, yes. with it. You still do some soul stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, like today, for
0: example. Like today. Yeah. Which uh, I can't wait to see it. And uh, by, by the way, I think yesterday we played at the same time and I couldn't watch you. And today we'll we'll today. We almost clash, but it's a little 15 minute When, when are you buffer. guys? On? Five o'clock.
2: Okay, cool. Sweet. Great. So, uh,
0: but um, with songwriting, do they, they take a bit of a role in that too, and they um, do help you, right? Uh, n-
2: not quite. Okay. Um, I've apart- heard differing. Yeah, apart from on one or two very specific examples. Essentially, the way that we've worked it out, and it took a long time to work this out, and this is getting a little technical. And indeed, I possibly need to be a little bit vague about some of the details for legal reasons. But anyway, Um, (laughs) essentially, I write the songs and then we arrange them together and structure them together sometimes, you know. And in the process of a vocal and guitar, first chorus, first chorus, bridge, chorus, out thing that I come to the band with, things will get kicked around. Do you know what I mean? Um, And the way that we've worked that out is that they take points on the records rather than writing credits kind of thing. And that sort of... Okay. Seems to be a just way of balancing that out. There have been a couple of occasions there was um there was you know what I mean by a soundcheck riff, oh uh, totally. So there was a Matt, my keys player, had a soundcheck riff which I actually kind of accidentally stole, and I was like, <laughs> where am I getting this from? And Matt was like, me. Dickheads. I love that. Yeah, um, that's so, so that's so honestly just could happen though. Yeah, There's... completely. But I mean, in a way, I mean, I thought it was cool, and so obviously he has a co-writer on that song because I. Quite specifically, nicked his <laughs> bit. Um, but uh, so, you know, there are exceptions to this, but generally speaking, um, uh, yeah, I still, uh, the writing's kind of my own thing. This time around in this album, we did an interesting thing. Um, and again, this is quite sort of technical between two. We like Rich the
0: technical stuff. Though. Okay. That's, this podcast is, is, yeah. It goes a little deeper than just okay. the, the surface. Well, the thing
2: know? is, so one, one of the things that, one of the problems I've encountered, or at least problem's too strong a word, but if you're trying to arrange a song that you've written for four other players at the same time in the same room, it's quite hard to keep a lid on what's going on at any given moment because you might be having a conversation with the drummer about what he's doing, but each time you run the part, the guitarist works out a new part, or the piano player works out a new part, and then they've got a thing and it's quite difficult to then strip that back. And and, and sometimes that's totally fine. It's an organic way of arranging a song, but it becomes a much more collective endeavour. And that's kind of what we've done on the last two albums that I've made. And this time around, I really specifically... Wanted to kind of go back to the methodology that I had on like the first two records that I made specifically, where I kind of essentially played almost everything. And built the songs apart at a time. So this time around, what we did was I put a ban on anyone working on any arrangement ideas until we got to the studio. Okay. And then I brought the guys in the Sleeping cells out one by one, which was so cool because partly it meant that I could really focus on what they were playing. But it also meant that they were the focus of attention with me and the producer and could therefore shine and throw everything they had at it. So right. I sort of laid down some guide guitar, and vocal parts, and then Nigel came over to Texas where we recorded, and Nige played the shit out of the drums. Like, absolutely the best drum performance he's ever done on a record for me. And, and between the two of us, every day it was all just drums, 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 yeah, drums, Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense to you. And that then thing. he went home, and then Tarrant, my bass player, came out, and we fucking went through the bass parts, and just really laser-focused on every fill, and blah, 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 blah. Totally. And, then we, sen- and with each member of the band doing that, and it really felt uh, what was it was a best of all worlds in the sense that i came away from it feeling like i was much more holistically in control of the sound of the songs but each member of the band also felt like they'd they they contributed it their best fucking shot yes. and they really put their mark no. on it
0: no i love that and inevitably when you have a bunch of guys in a room and each song has a different requirement for whatever right. instrument right you could be spending a long long time like working on some guitar lead yeah. to get that right or more often it's something with the drums, right? Yeah. yeah. And meanwhile, while you're doing that, you're you know, you're sitting around Hello <laughs> Uh you're you're um was that Kent like like No Effects. Yeah it was that's just what I was a guy just shirt? walked yeah. in
2: with Kent from No face on his t shirt. On his t shirt. Which is the best T shirt I've seen all walk tour. I mean, would wear Ken's face.
0: That was why I, I lost my job. Yeah, of thought yeah, me there. too. Anyway, but uh, so you're working on a guitar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're working on, and then you know, meanwhile, oh, you're working on something with a drummer, and the bass player is just kind of like picking his butt, you know, yeah. waiting around for you to figure it out. Maybe he has a an idea, and you're like, no, this is this is my song. I'm Frank. Yeah, Turner. yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah, totally yeah. get, and the approach totally. really does make sense.
2: And the well, the other thing that was great about it as an approach as well is that if you've got five people in a room holding five instruments, you tend to write arrangements that have five parts. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Whereas and what was cool about this song is it was just kinda like instead of just being like, What is this person playing at any given moment? It was like what is happening in the song at this given moment. So some of the songs, like Going Nowhere, for example, has just guitar and drums for the first half of the song because it didn't need anything else. Right. You know, and if we'd worked it up in a room, and this is no cuss on anybody I play with at all at any point, but just naturally if we worked it out in a room, it would have had everyone playing all the way through. Totally. And it was just kind of really cool. So, like, I'm not even playing at the beginning of that song. I don't play (laughs) for the first half of the song. And it was... That's a really fun thing that I was doing on this record, is quite a lot of the time being like, do I need to play here? And then sometimes going, no, fuck it. I'm deleting myself from the equation. And also, just briefly, one of the other things is I sung all the vocals on this record, with the obvious exception of the gospel part and Brave Face. But, yeah, and that was kind of fun as well, like, just... uh, um, and again it's not because I'm cussing out anybody I've, I've worked with but there's a different sound to either an ensemble of different voices or you know trying to build chords out of one voice do you yeah. know what I mean and layering and just call it a layering and double tracking and low octaves yep. and all that kind of thing and it just gives it a different vibe
0: no I always like the sound of that too and not to mention when you do your own harmonies you n- always know exactly like where your breaths are And where the stops yeah, are Totally, And it, it can be a lot,
2: yeah, a lot easier and you, can, you can kind of improvise Do you improvise harmonies at all? I love doing that You have a part and you're kind of like Man, I could have a harmony And then you just kind of look at each other And you kind of go No prep, no humming Go in there and sing the first thing that comes out of your mouth Right And, and, and sometimes you will come up with something cool Yeah, totally. sometimes it's fucking nonsense Because I'm,
0: I'm like a bit of a musical uh, like I'm like a theory guy right. So I'll, I'll be like Okay, well this is a fourth harmony or if you know yeah, yeah, whatever. Sure. So I'll wake like, we'll usually usually them out on a guitar or something. Right. But some I agree with you and some of the my favorite ones I've done were ones where you just, I just like, went open
2: in. your mouth, see what happens. Apparently that's how Tom York does his harmonies every time. Never plans them, just sees what happens. Yeah. But like I mean there's a the, to pick a specific example in the song Twenty First Century Survivor Blues, there's a I mean I I think I'm right in saying it's kind of a third below going down the da 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 melody. And I just kind of was like, I know there's something there. Fucking run the tape, let's go. Yeah, right? yeah. just went and sung it, and it sounded cool. Yeah, and then you know we tweaked it a tiny bit, but it was cool. My
0: favorite harmony story is uh, from Cameron Webb, who's uh, done a lot of records Silverstein Records. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember one time we were having trouble getting a line, and he's like, he's like, just just ah, da, 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 one note the whole thing. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. It's the hardcore harmony. <laughs> I go hardcore harmony. He goes, yeah. He goes, so I get hard, hardcore bands in here. And they can't really like sing. They don't really know how to sing harmonies. So someone would be like, "I got it. Let get me in the booth. Let me do it." And they
2: do it, and they just yell one bada, note bada, at the top bada, of their yeah, lungs. It's, just, it's either the hum is the octave or the fifth, right, across the top. Yeah, <laughs>
0: and it's but it sounds you know sometimes it sounds yeah. Good. yeah, yeah of so course. he's like he's like hardcore harmony man, hardcore
2: harmony. So now yeah, that's yeah. what we call it. The the, I like the that. one
0: note. Yeah, yeah, the one <laughs> note, the one note wonder. I like that. That's good. Uh, another thing, and I don't want to take up too much of your time, man. I love talking to you, though. No, no this is always fun. Um, songbook. Yes Very cool idea Thank you Very cool take uh, To to re-record Some stuff Not re-record Some other stuff How did you make That decision Um, And was it weird Kind of (coughs) putting together Like a greatest hits album Yeah it was So early Well it's been 10 years But you know Yeah yeah
2: yeah I mean the songbook thing Like there was a bunch Of different motivations for it And I'll Part of it was Well I mean commercial you know the world of streaming has changed the way the music industry works and, and like oh, part, yeah. part of it was that like my label wanted to be able to push older material to like new playlists you know what I mean and that works by putting out a compilation record one of the other things that's then worth then throwing into the conversation is that growing up I used to hate bands that would like throw one new song on a greatest hits thing because you'd have to buy the CD to get the new song yeah. that isn't true anymore because of Spotify because of buying the yeah. build tracks on iTunes or whatever so I felt more morally comfortable with doing that <laughs> sure. Um but then I mean I have I've always been a fan of rearranging my own work and that's a habit I picked up because really early on in my music taste um, you know I grew up listening to thrash and, and hardcore and punk and stuff but the the, the kind of the, the wild card in my music taste growing up was Counting Crows because my older sister was obsessed with Counting Crows and I didn't listen to anything else that sounded remotely like that but yeah. I listened to Counting Crows and on all their early Singles, most of which I still have on cassette somewhere, even though I don't own a cassette player anymore. But um, the B-side would be a reworking of an album track. Yeah. So there was like, I remember there was like the killer version of Rain King that was the B-side to Mr. Jones. Um, And they were just kind of, it was almost like they were covering their own songs. Yeah. Um, And I just, even from right then, I love that. Then, of course, there was the whole thing that got so overdone. It was arguably overdone from the very first moment. It was done the sort of the comedy fast pop punk cover of a pop song thing. Right, right. You know that like high standard of did course. to death in of the nineties and all the rest of it. Um, but just that idea, you know, just that a song is a skeleton and it can be thin, a thin person or a fat person. On top of that, you know what love I mean. That. I love um, that. But you know, you can you can dress it up in different clothes and. um So, and, you know, live, we've always done that for years. Um, I mean, one of the ones we did, Long Live the Queen, the thing about that song is Lex, my friend, who I wrote that song for, um, was a a hardcore girl, and she died just after I released my first record. And um, she was a good friend, and she was a supporter, but it was pretty clear she thought this whole acoustic folk singer thing was kind of bullshit. Um, And, like, she'd preferred it when I was in a hardcore punk band. Um, And so, obviously, that song became very big news for me but also i just wanted to put a version together that i thought she might like a bit more cool you know what i mean totally and, and and I, that, and
0: I, that's i was a standout one on the record for yeah, sure sorry, reworking.
2: that's how we've been playing it live almost since like a year after the album came out yeah. so which was 10 years ago so it's been nine years we've been playing it that way and it was like fuck it we should get a version of this down you know yeah and we might you know you might as well capture it
0: well i guess having you know a band a band now when you didn't before mm. Uh, must have changed yes. too the way that like, you have different yeah. people playing on the, on it. Different, yeah, you know.
2: well, definitely, and uh, you know, and, uh, um, it it's funny because it, there is this whole dichotomy in what I do, which I'm sure is only interesting to me. But anyway, I'll talk about it. Um, <laughs> you know, the Sleeping Souls are not I don't want to call them a backing band; they're not session musicians. Yeah, but we're also not quite a band. Band, do you know what I yeah. mean? And they occupy this slightly weird. Position and I always wanted it to be based on like the East Street Band, you know. That's yeah. the model for me. Um So I, and that's why I wanted them to have a name, or I wanted people to know who they were and all the rest of it. And and it changes the way I write because I know yeah. when I'm writing that Nigel's going to play the drums and Ben's going to play the guitar. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And that and that and and, and that's a good thing, you know. Um, also, and this really came to the fore when we were working on Songbook. It really it was a really wonderful moment of us because it's been ten years now that we've been a band and like. It was just really cool because like, everybody was throwing their ideas in, but also doing a thing which I think every band I've ever been in has a problem with this, so I don't know about you, which is knowing when to get out of the way and not being too egotistical not to do that. Do you know what I mean?
0: Well, this is lead singer syndrome, so well, this there you is go. literally the podcast. But like, So
2: there was um, on those, the songbook version of Polaroid Picture, which is really one of my favorite things I've ever recorded. Like, um, I was trying to talk Tarrant through my bass ideas, and he was just like, fuck it, man, you play it. And like and it wasn't a big deal. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't like he's was like, well, you know, I have to play the bass on this or whatever. He was just like yeah he, I was showing it to him and he was like, Why don't we just roll tape because you're playing how it wants to be So we did and then he learned it for live and yeah. right.
0: I think when you're the age that we are and you've been doing it this long, yeah you
2: can most people
0: that have gotten to the stage can check their ego. And, you'd hope so you hope you'd hope so yeah but, or, but or at least or
2: if they can't how did they get this far
0: yeah and they're other and they're confident that like okay just because Frank's going to play this one bass line doesn't mean I'm going to get kicked out of the band right fine I'm you not know. good enough to play also, bass well, or something you know to
2: be slightly mechanistic and humdrum about it there is a level on which it's all it's just kind of like look we've all got a job. You know, right. we're all going to get paid at the end of the day. We're all, we've got a living. We're all <laughs> going to keep touring. And it doesn't, you don't have to fucking see everything as a slight. I hope that, I mean, I'm speaking out of turn in a way, but I hope that's right. part of how the guys in the band take it as well. Um, you know, and it's just kind of, it's, it's, it certainly is a nicer ride for everybody to do that. By the way, I'm going to change the subject a little bit. I know you're looking at questions, but fuck it. And also, stop me if we talked about this last time about lead singer syndrome. About the nature of ego in the music industry and how I'm mystified by it. And the reason I'm mystified by it is this, which is that what you and I do for a living involves self-inflicted public humiliation on an almost daily basis. (laughs) I have... (laughs) And it's fucking true.
0: <laughs> I need an example. but I'm, okay. I'm, I'm trying I have to
2: split my trousers on stage. Oh, sure. okay, I've shit yes. myself. I have punched myself on the balls. I've fucked yes. up songs. I've fallen off the front of the stage and chipped a tooth. Um, I once did a handstand in the pile of broken glass, not because I was trying to be an EPOP, because I didn't see it and then went, oh my God. Yep. Um, you know, yep. uh, I have uh, said stupid shit in interviews. I've, do you know what I mean? They're just the litany of opportunities yes. for making an ass out of yourself is endless. And to my mind, the only possible sort of psychological response to this is to not take yourself that seriously because if you did you would spontaneously combust very (laughs) very quickly and so and i mean i know that's my response to it and maybe i'm being sort of uh, sort of tunnel vision about this but like when you encounter people who do this for a living who are extremely precious about their ego i'm like how do you live how right. do you? How do you get up in the morning? How do you? What do you do when you split your trousers on stage? If you're that fucking uptight, do
1: you know what I mean? Because it's gonna happen. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And like,
2: fuck, just don't take yourself that seriously. Yeah, and almost like, like I say, it's a, it's a defense mechanism, right. not taking yourself seriously.
0: This is quite the intro.
2: Is this? Uh, this is this
0: is Titanic. I think.
2: Good lord, <laughs> what an intro!
0: Um, no, I agree with you, man. And and. um I have... At least I'm looking at my phone here with some questions just because I have some fan questions. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Which, which maybe we can bust out, and then I'll let you go. But this one is sort of a, a cool fan question. Maybe goes a little bit to, to what we just talked about. Uh-huh. In reference to you, Be More Kind, you've met a lot of your idols. Who was the absolute most kind? And if you don't mind, who wasn't?
2: <laughs> oh, politics. Um... Most kind, I'm gonna have to say Jimmy uh, Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, and you got a um, tour coming up, isn't that yeah, surreal? They're gonna which, open for oh, you. My God, I, I cannot believe that they said yes. Let's put it that way. It was it was an absolute hail mary ask. Do you know what I mean? And they turned around, and went yeah, and I said, Sweet. wait, what? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Sweet, absolutely, yeah, it's cool as fuck. But Jim Jim, I I don't know Jim super well, but like literally the first time I met him, we were just hanging out. Jim's dry now; he's sober. Oh yeah, yeah, and um. I have had some trouble with drugs in my time, Um, like uh, drinking to a degree, but drugs to a larger degree. And he sort of got wind of this and he was just instantly like gave me his number and he was like, whatever it is you're going through, I've been through it. And if you need to talk, my phone is on 24-7 and never fucking don't call me. You know, he was just so beautiful about it. To, 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 at that point in time, essentially a complete stranger. Yeah. And, and, uh, but at the same time, and I guess this is part of this podcast, the list of people who do what we do for a living and specifically understand the pressures that come with it is actually pretty limited. Right. So to have somebody say that to me... I've also I've found it inspirational, and I've done my best to pay that forward in my time as well. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. to say to younger bands coming through or whatever, it's just it's like, I've, I've done this quite a lot, and I might... Possibly, there's an outside chance I might have accrued a very small degree of wisdom in doing this. Probably not, but you know, you can ask, kind of thing. <laughs> sure. Um, and in terms of the worst, I mean, I've had a couple of bad experiences. I don't particularly want to talk about them on. A I podcast. understand. I don't, know, okay, I don't expect you to call anyone out. I
0: don't expect you to call anyone out by name. But, but um, funny you mentioned Jim Jim Atkins because I've told the story in the podcast before. Sorry if people have heard it, but uh, we were we had a day off in Boise, Idaho, one time. Right. Great city. Love Boise. Yeah, yeah. And our bus was just parked, you know, in a parking lot randomly. And uh, I'm sitting on the bus, and these guys, like, walk on, and I don't know them. And I get up, and I go, and they're looking at me like, what the hell? I'm looking at them like, what the hell? And then I go, you're Jimmy. Yeah. And it was Jim Atkins and Tom and another right. guy from from Jimmy at World. And they'd walked on our bus because we had the same bus as them oh, yeah. and the bus had gotten yeah. moved.
2: Oh. And Lord. Uh,
0: and it was a very funny story. And, I've been, dude, uh, I've and then had we that. went to
2: their show and had a great time. Awesome. I've I've had that, by the way, getting on the wrong bus and you're just like Wait a minute! Right, this is tidier than I remember. It's, it's it being. like
0: it's it happens like on Warped tour all the time. You got like a hundred yeah, buses in a row. Of course, but this just in the middle of a parking lot oh, yeah. was well. A little, I'll di- do this a little quickly different. because I
2: know we're running out of time. But like, um, I once uh, woke up parked out at the back of a venue in Albuquerque. I was really sick, and my tour manager was like we're cancelling the Albuquerque show and I'm taking you to a doctor because your throat is completely fucked yeah and as you, cancelling the show is the worst thing in the world you feel like you yeah. just want somebody to take you out back and shoot you in the head because you're a useless piece of shit anyway as we got off the bus there was this weird old dude just wandering around outside our bus in the parking lot of this venue who was like hey hey, man how you doing I was like I'm, I'm going to a doctor leave me alone kind of thing and he was like yeah you need some I got, I got some drugs and he had a plastic shopping bag full of like prescription drugs and I was like fuck you man like no way and then as we pulled off by, in the cab that came to pick us up my tour manager was like that was Jerry only <laughs> And, like, the Misfits were playing the bigger room at the venue that we just canceled the small room at. And it, I completely misinterpreted who he was. And, like, he wasn't a crazy old man. He was Jerry Only who was trying to be nice. Because he was... And he was kind of going, Shit, man, I know how it is. And he had some... He was like, Look, I had some stuff that could... And I, I felt like such a prick. Oh, anyway, man, that's funny. It's the only time I have met Jerry Only. That's funny.
0: Jerry Only hit on, hit on our bass player's girlfriend one time, so... Awesome. I... Uh- <laughs> Uh, alright, a couple more here. Um What
2: is your uh what is his least favorite song he's ever written?
1: Do you have a least
0: favorite?
2: <laughs> I do. I've got I mean I've got a few that aren't very high up my list, should we say. Yeah. Um and I'm sort of slightly wary of talking about this because every time I talk about this, it turns out to be the person I'm talking to's favorite song and I ruin it for them. <laughs> so I guess I'll preface it by saying that, like, my in a way, my opinion about a song that I've released is kind of unimportant because I do firmly believe that the song becomes public property once it's out in the world. Do you know what I mean? Right. People sometimes email me, uh, email me and ask if I, if they can have permission to cover a song and I'm like, you do not need my permission. Right. Write an extra verse and claim you wrote it yourself. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, I mean... I'm not a huge fan of the song Thatcher Fuck the Kids simply because it put me... I was a very early song I wrote and it put me straight into this particular corner of the music scene that was full of a lot of very bullish, angry people who are only interested in you as long as you're singing their pre-existing opinions back to them in rhyming couplets right. And that is just artistically invalid to me. It's boring, um, and I just found the whole experience pretty depressing. I actually played that song live for the first time in, like, eight years the other day. Yeah. And kind of went, oh, you know, this song's pretty good, actually. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm It's the, funny I, how that happens. Yeah, but um, that one, I mean, there's a few early ones. There's a, there's a couple... I mean, the song Oh Brother on on Tape Deck Heart doesn't do masses for me, I'll be honest with you. Okay. Um, It's just not quite sort of intense enough for my taste. But there you go. If people love it, they love it. Okay, there you go. Uh, Okay, a couple more. Um, How was opening for Blink-182? It was great. Um, It was a wonderful example of bypassing the structures of the music industry. The Bling Money 2 tour Last summer in the UK It was like 21 arena shows It was the biggest rock tour Happening all year in the UK And when it got announced Everyone and their fucking dog Wanted the support slot for it And I texted Matt Skiba And I went Hey motherfucker How about that tour And then we got it (laughs) (laughs) And it was great Because usually There's like a 10 month process Of agents and managers Hammering out a fucking deal Or whatever And Matt just went Oh uh, Yeah Cool I love and it, it. And it, and that's how that happened. I, um, I, they were they were great. They were, they were a great band. We had a great time. I, I love it so much, man. Uh, yeah, I think I think that's about all. I mean, I guess tell me what's going on next for you, or anything so, you, you want to. Um, you're writing you're writing another book. Writing another book. I'm writing a book about songs and songwriting. The last the first book I wrote cool. was about touring. Yep, and I didn't really want to write a sequel to that, just because partly because I've already done one book yeah. like that, and partly because that book had interest because the story was how you go from playing a, two people in a squat to playing an arena show. And the story of how I went from playing an arena show to playing more shows is less interesting. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or at least it doesn't... I mean, I could fill it with anecdotes, but it doesn't have that overriding, over, overriding arc. Right. You know what I mean? But I wanted to write a song about a, a book about songwriting because I spend my life thinking about songwriting. So I'm working on that. Um, I've got two, maybe three side projects on the go at the minute. I've also finished writing my next album, and I'm thinking about how and where to record that. Damn. Um... I mean, I say finish writing, finish the first draft. You know what I mean. Yes. Like I'm going to go back and tweak. What uh, side projects are these new uh, side projects? Um, one of them is exi- Mongol Horde is kind yeah. of stirring. Another record coming. We're talking about doing a, doing a seven inch. Cool. Because we we did a tour in January this year and wrote two new songs, so we're talking about just recording those two songs, and putting those out. But we definitely want to do another album at some point. We've got so many good album titles. <laughs> <laughs> no songs yet <laughs> I want to call it Andrew Lloyd whatever um, but, <laughs> well, but my, when, when one of the other ones doing the rounds was to call it Schmongel Horde so the front cover just says Mongel Horde Schmongel Horde okay. I think that's a great name for an album pretty good um, anyway but so there's that I've got this you know what fuck it man world exclusive Alright here we go A world exclusive I've got this other project I'm working on Which is me and my best friend Who I grew up with We've known each other Since we were three We were in our first band together Like he got a drum kit I got a guitar When we were ten And um He now uh, He lives in Bournemouth In the UK And he makes extremely Fucked up and weird And uncomfortable Electronic music in the vein of, I mean, if it, saying Everstone doesn't quite do it justice. It's more fuck than that. I don't know if you know stuff like James Plotkin's Atom Smasher. Um, yeah, uh, it's that kind of territory. Okay. So what we've done, what we're working on, is an album of easy listening covers done in the style of a kind of folk songs being utterly kind of butt raped by a, right. a, a sequencer. Um, it's it's comp- it's the single most demented thing I've ever been part of. Cool. Um, and like and the thing is we're like eight songs in now and we're aiming for ten and with each one we do we're sort of one-upping each other to get weirder oh nice Um, so the last one we worked on was a version of Twist and Shout that's really 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 horrid Um, and like his okay. his wife told him that he had to stop working on it on speakers because she was going <laughs> to leave him if he kept playing I can't it out even around the house. Have you a name for this project? Yeah, it's called Eating Before Swimming. Okay, um, which is <laughs> and the, it's a, it's a joke about anarchism. It's totally. like we're fucking anarchists. We're going to eat a burger and go for a swim. Right. Um. Get it. But but so and I mean we've been talking about doing something. I mean we've been friends for 33 years do you know what I mean Yeah. we've been talking about doing something for a lifetime and we're finally doing it I don't know when hopefully by the end of next year it'll be out Cool, great. It's going to be, and I, I don't think it's something we could ever do live, Yeah, and I'm not sure it's something that many people are going to enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay, because
0: uh, there's a new Frank
2: Turner re- uh, record, apparently yes. written. Yeah, which I'm hoping going to record early next year, and uh, yeah, I, there are plans for it. So
0: kids, uh, stop drinking. Adults too, stop drinking, and you're going to get all the <laughs> shit done. Well, you're going to have I mean, three side projects on the go, you're going re- yeah. to a book.
2: Yeah it's, it's, That's the key maybe Keep, Keeping busy Keeping busy certainly. Awesome Frank. And then wow. just more shows as well Yep And um, we're coming through Toronto again For three nights In oh, really? September Three nights of Phoenix Be- Beautiful Are that's you around?
0: Awesome. In September? I think I am around Well come hang Has out Has been announced? I don't think yeah, I Yeah 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 right. I don't know how I missed that two one
2: Two of them sold out Beautiful Yeah Alright well, um, you you i you're around I mean, we can do this again I love doing this But if you want to just come and hang out Let's come and hang out I'll just come hang out Okay there we we'll go do, We'll do it that time Thank you Frank What a pleasure Cheers So there it is with Frank.
0: See, yeah, you stop drinking, you get all this stuff done. I think that might be some advice that I need to take. Regardless, I want to thank Frank so much and Tree so much for setting this up. And it's just always a pleasure. I can't wait. He's doing three shows in Toronto. I assume he's doing shows all over the place. So check those out. Maybe he's on tour right now. I'm very excited for this strange project, Eating Before Swimming. There you go, the world-exclusive here it is. You can Google it now. Something will come up. Anyways, hey, thank you everybody so much for listening to this. If you like the show, please feel free to write a review on iTunes, preferably five stars. If you want more content, this show will always be free. Don't worry about that. But if one episode a week is not enough for you, we do have the All Access Club, which has bonus content, interaction with other fans of the show, merchandise shipped to your house, all kinds of other stuff. I do question and answers. I do live stuff on Facebook. I do all this stuff. It's really, really, really awesome and a great community. So check it out. The Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. The link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash access. And make sure you're subscribed. Hit that subscribe button because I will be back next week with, we have this guitar god turned lead singer. It's a very cool episode next week. Bit of a different one. So yes. I don't want to spill the beans, but just go and hit that subscribe button. Thanks so much. I'm going to leave you with a tune, one we talked about, a classic, and one that I think you can just close your eyes, hear the emotion, feel the sadness, and you might shed a tear. I'm not even kidding. It is a, this is an emotional song, but a good one, and a hit. Here's Long Live the Queen by Frank Turner on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next week.
1: Was lying in the hospital She'd been pretty sick For about half a year But it seemed like this time The end was drawing near So I dropped my plans And jumped the next London train I found her laid up And in a lot of pain Her eyes met mine And then I understood That her weather forecast Wasn't looking too good So sad saw a story, So a little raised mood and tried to raise her smile But she silenced all my ramblings with a shake of her head Drew me close to listen, this is what she said now sick of all the hospital food of doctors distant relatives draining up blood said i know i'm dying but i'm not finished just yet yeah i'm dying for a drink and for a cigarette so we hatched a plan to book ourselves a cheap hotel the center of the city and to raise some had gone to sleep and wasn't waking up and even though I knew that there was nothing to be done I felt bad for not being there and now while well, she was gone so I tried to think what Lex would want me to do at times like this when I was feeling blue so I gathered up some friends to spread the sad sad news and we headed to the city for a drink or two and we sang we It's just now we have to dance for one more of us to stop.